This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I was my acne and my acne just defined me. Mine was just very cystic acne. There's no other way to describe it. Very angry, lots of them. And they were painful. Um, That's the thing that I don't think people speak enough about. I remember getting in bed every night and thinking, God, it really hurts to sleep on my side. Hello and welcome back to Beautiful Lives, the podcast in which I, Madeline Spencer, I'm joined by guests to share some of the challenges they've faced and triumphs they've enjoyed during their life, as well as touching on the relationship between their inner and outer self and where beauty memories and rituals have had an impact. Today, I'm joined by the TV personality and author Georgia Toffolo. We spend some time during this episode discussing her acneic skin, which has affected her confidence deeply throughout her life, to the extent where she was allowed special dispensation to apply a layer of foundation during her stint on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. I'm sure anyone listening who suffered from acne will know all too well how deeply having spots condense self-esteem, and I suspect this section will resonate as deeply with you as it did with me. We also talk about lots of joyous things, dogs, ABBA, her top beauty essentials, and politics, which for Georgia is a topic that arouses great passion. This episode is brought to you by Temple Spa, one of my favourite luxury British skincare brands. Using only the finest ingredients, Temple Spa are all about creating exceptional results-driven skincare and experiences that make a real difference to your skin and soul health. Please do keep listening to hear more about my recent immersive online Spa2Go experience and how you can get involved a little later on the show. Here's Georgia. Right, Georgia. Do Can I call you Georgia? Do people often call you Georgia? Yeah, well, it's my mum when she's giving me a telling off calls me Georgia. Um, and majority, most of my really, really close friends call me Georgia. So go with Georgia. Okay, fine. I wouldn't feel appropriate surnaming you without I know, sort of really everyone else seems well. to, but yeah. Do they? Okay, no, I'm going to, I'll Georgia you. I'll Georgia you. <laughs> Tell us about your childhood. You grew up in Torquay, which always makes me think of Faulty Towers. Oh, it was wonderful. I think the Faulty Towers comparison is a belter. I mean, how amazing is that? Um, it was just wonderful. I adored the slower pace of life down there um, until I was about 17, 18, and then everything changed. It was such a blessing to grow up with the sea and the great outdoors. I mean, it, really, really special place to grow up. The one big thing is I just don't get home enough. And when I do, I'm reminded of just how lucky I was. And it's just amazing. It's a really special place to go. But as I said, I just don't get down enough. Okay, I have two versions of this in my head and perhaps they're both wrong. But one is that it's like a a pile of a house with many people running around, lots of noise and da-da-da-da. 
or you're quieter, you're sitting by the seaside reading a book and immersing yourself in stories because you're slightly bored. It was, was it one or the other? It was the latter. And just to really, really solidify that, I'm an only child. So it wasn't a house full of children running around. I was very much tucked up all the time with my book. But then I got a bit older and I discovered boys in London. And then that went straight out the window. But that was definitely how it was down there. And I went to two really beautiful schools. Um, and I just had a really lovely, lucky start to my life. What's your earliest memory of someone in your mind that you thought the way they look interests me and maybe I could do that one day? Totally bizarrely, and this might shock you, mine was actually Avril Lavigne. <laughs> it's so weird. I was really into her music when I was a bit younger and I loved her debut album so much. For at least, I reckon, about two months, I wanted to be a skater girl. Um, it didn't last, I hasten to add. Um, I think ill-fitting sort of boy shorts and pink eyeliner are a very fun idea, um, but just not in practice for me. But bizarrely, it was that. Did you dye your hair then? Are you a natural blonde? What colour was your hair then? <laughs> I'm very dark. I'm not a natural blonde. Um, no turning back. I don't think I would suit dark hair, but I did not go for the pink, I must say. It was just a bit of a pipeline dream. Were you covetous about products? Did things excite you? Were you someone who would go up when you went up to London and sort of find yourself pawing through the shelves of, I don't know, boots or Selfridges or wherever you were? Yeah, completely. I mean, I've always just loved tangible goods, if I'm honest. Um, I work really, really hard because I like to buy nice things and I'm really not ashamed to say it. Um, and I think it did. All, it started out for me, it was super drug was my hangout. Um, sort of going through all of the amazing cabinets. And I remember there was always this brand, what was it? It was always Sports sports Girl or something. And that was where it all started. Miss Sporty. Miss Sporty. Yeah. That was the beginning of everything for me. Um, but I think, I mean, looking back, I've always really been into makeup. But, and I think this is because I've struggled with my skin, I haven't done the transformative makeup looks. I've just wanted to look like everyone else does naturally. Um, so I've always been... I mean, my concealer and foundation collection is something to behold. It should be in a museum. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I really have got a lot of it. So, yes, I was very into it, but I wasn't going for the crazy, crazy colours. I just wanted to have blemish-free skin with no redness, you know? Yeah. So I have exactly the same thing. Like, I didn't have spots. I felt like someone was taking away. So rather than adding to the way I looked, I just wanted to get to ground zero almost and be like everyone else. So what were the first ones you found that worked? It was thieving my mum's double wear I mean that was what I, I just at least it used to cover up my face and I still use it now but I mix it with my moisturizer now um, and I was probably walking around so caked in it and then one day I discovered at the Estee Lauder counter double wear camouflage which is essentially a product that that makeup artists use to cover up people's tattoos um, and I thought it was the best thing since sliced bread you know I was I was like oh my God, this has changed my life completely. And it did neutralise the colour that I had um, um, and, the, and the pigmentation and the redness. So that was probably when everything changed for me. And I thought, actually, I can feel a bit confident when I can go outside now. Can we talk a little bit about the spots specifically? Um, again, as someone who knows um, spots very well, I know that there are A, different kinds. Sometimes they cluster. Sometimes you'll get one that's like a mountain. Sometimes they will weep so you can't conceal them because you've got this weepy kind of middle section. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I would spend ages trying to get them out and then they'd get 
angry and then it would be worse. So um, tell me about when they first started and also what kind of spots you were dealing with. Yeah, so it all started very normal teenage spots. I didn't think anything of them. Loads of my friends had them at the time. I was about 14, 15. But the problem is with mine, they just progressively got worse and worse and worse. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never had a spot on my forehead. When I say never, I, 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 mean, I mean this, I've never had one, nor have I ever had a spot on my chin. I've only ever had spots on the side of my cheeks, um, which I think is just so interesting where everyone's kind of breakouts are so different. Mine was just very cystic acne. Um, there's no other way to describe it. Very angry, lots of them. And they were painful. Um, that's the thing that I don't think people speak enough about. I remember getting in bed every night and thinking, God, it really hurts to sleep on my side. And it just went on and on and on from the age of 15 until I'm 26 now. I mean, I've I've had a really good three months. But before that, it was, it's been exactly the same. Horrific. And what about um, doctor stuff? Did you have any medication yeah, or anything like that? I tried everything. I've been to the doctors, I've had all the tests done. Nothing comes up that's strange from hormones to food intolerances. And then I tried to go on Accutane, um, which did get rid of the spots, but I only stayed on it for two months because it wasn't very good and I just couldn't handle it anymore. And I know that's a very personal aspect. I mean, it's a personal stance because it does. it's a miracle drug, really, but I couldn't deal with the other side effects. So I came off that. So the only thing that I think works is good enough diet. I'm quite naughty with my food, but um, lots of water and a really good solid skincare routine. That's I, I wish I could say something else, but that's what's worked for me. So on the diet, what kind of diet do you find helps your acne out? No, junk food. It's quite simple. But I, I can't seem to get my head around that, you know. <laughs> Just eat normal whole foods. Um, I try my best, um, but I'm very naughty with my diet. I find it a bit easier when I'm away like I am now because... Um, you know, just eating at a restaurant, I can order a big, nice piece of fish and some vegetables. And I'm happy with that. But at home, I'm a bit of a delivery fiend. And I seem to go for the Macadies in the subways over the fresh deliveries. Emotionally, or in terms of um, being self-conscious about it, just in terms of I'm thinking of you at the age where you were, you know, going up to London, going out with friends, interested in boys, things like that. Was it affecting or denting your confidence? Oh, enormously. It was all consuming. I was my acne and my acne just defined me. The breakouts were so, it was even like verbally, it was all that I would talk about. Because I think, you know, when you get something off your chest, it does make you feel a bit better. But looking back, now that I'm actually saying that to you, it sounds really unbelievable because I'm not like that now. But it, it was very true. It was a big, I think because I made the decision to go on television, particularly with Made in Chelsea when I was 18. I think maybe that emotionally shone a light on it a bit more than it probably should have done. Um, whereas actually people weren't looking at my spots. I know that now. But back then, I remember crying all the time. I would say to the cameramen, who have obviously been camera operators for about 20 years, I would say, you can't you can't put the camera there. And they'd say, don't worry, darling, it's, it's, it seems close, but because of the lens that we've got, it's far away. I'm looking in HD. We cannot see our spots. I said, no, you've got to move it. And there'd be tears and... It was a really awful self-conscious time, yeah. Tell me about how um, Made in Chelsea came about. Oh, it was so silly. So I moved up to London, as I said. I was obsessed with coming up to London. And my dad said to me, you've got to get a job, if not one job. You've got to get two jobs if you're not going to go to university because I wanted to do my gap year in London. So I started nannying for a really lovely family. And then I started working on the door of a nightclub called Embargo's in Chelsea. So I was so tired. And then suddenly I started knocking around with some of the older boys, you know, which was all quite exciting, like Jamie and Spencer and everyone. 
And they needed extras, a little sort of crowd filler. And I said, well, how much are you paying? And they said, well, apparently it's 50 quid a day. I thought, bloody perfect. Where do I sign? And I did it. And I think before I even was an extra, one of the producers was like, right, she'd be quite funny on the television. Let's give her a go. And I've got this, the most ridiculous, ridiculous nickname to go with it for Maiden Chelsea. I think it was serendipitous. And I just sent it up. It was a complete accident, um, but a wonderful one. And seeing yourself back on screen, did it change the way you presented yourself or did you feel different about yourself? Yeah, definitely. I think I'll never forget when the first episode that I was in aired and I looked at myself and I thought, Jesus, do I really look like that? My head is such a strange shape. My hair is rubbish. You know, things I never thought about before. I think definitely. However, on a more positive note, I did get away with murder on Maiden Chelsea in the sense that I never had any truly emotional storylines. I don't have any footage of me screaming and shouting and crying in the archives. You know, I was a bit of like um, relief with some really turbulent times for other people. Um, so, yes, I think at the beginning, it was really emotional. And then I started to think, right, do a bit of contour, make your face look a bit less round, start brushing your hair, you know, all these little things. Yes, I must have quite deeply taken on board what other people were saying as well. I mean, at the time, Maiden Chelsea was the talking point on Twitter. It was a thing every Monday night. So there was real home truths. And of course, you can't help searching for your own, for your own name. Um, but I don't know whether... If I'm honest, I think my skin was the biggest thing in my life back then. And because of this wonderful yellow filter that they put on top of Maiden Chelsea, you couldn't see my spot. So in a way, I think deep down, I wasn't that I wasn't that emotionally obsessed about the way that I looked because you couldn't see the thing that I was worrying about. And was that also something, because public scrutiny is, is a big thing. It's, it can be very stressful and exhausting. And I know from a lot of people who've come on the show that it's it can be a heavy cross to bear, although it affords you enormous privilege, obviously. Um, but do you think that because you were focused on that that element of it, that perhaps the other stuff sort of quietened down and maybe that was a blessing in disguise? I'm telling you, as awful as it's been having those spots, I mean, for me, I've never... Emotionally, I feel quite healthy with regards to the way that people view me and my self-confidence, and I'm separating my skin. The way that I think and view myself in the public eye, I, I do. I feel healthy is the right word. I don't get horribly trolled, touch wood. Um, I, I feel as though I have amazing people who follow me and say the kindest things. I, yeah, I, I think I do have the healthiest viewpoint of a person in my position that I could have, if you get what I mean. Did you find that the perception of you changed enormously with I'm a Celebrity? Because obviously Made in Chelsea, even forgetting your personality, forgetting the personality of anyone on there, the very culture of the show was, here are some very privileged people living in this very privileged area, living their lives. And although people enjoyed it, there's obviously a set of um, traits that people would describe anyone who's in that situation. And yet suddenly... I'm a celebrity, you are, you know, bearing your soul and kind of being very vulnerable. So did you find that perception of you changed a lot? A hundred percent. I mean, the jungle was the greatest gift for me because I feel like I've been on a lifelong crusade to prove to everyone that I might speak like this, but actually I'm quite a nice person. I'm quite normal and I like doing normal things, you know. So that was my gateway to show everyone um, I might have a stupid nickname and I, I did do a show um, of great affluence and privilege. But I'm just like all of you lot sat at home on the sofa, you know, doing and feeling normal emotions. Um, but it was 
just wonderful because I think I could show people who I really was without the constraints of a constructed reality TV show. Um, and I, I remember I was lying there in the in the little hammocks. Obviously, I was the youngest, so um, I, I always I had the hammock right until the end. And I just thought, how are you going to pay this? And I thought you're going to be voted off first. Everyone's going to hate you. They're going to think you've got a pole stuck up your ass. So why don't you just be yourself? And then at least when you do get voted off and you go and see your grandparents and your mum who's waiting for you, you can sit across the dinner table from them and say, well, at least I was just me and you know I was. And thank God I took that route. I Anyone that signs up to that show, if I know them, I just say to them, do not try and be anyone you're not because the British public are far too clever, they can see it. And you won't connect with your campmates and have the best experience because you're worrying about trying to be something. Um, and I think, well, I think it worked quite well. I was, you know, no, everything that went on in that jungle is just me. And, um, you know, so yeah, I'm really proud of the way that I did it. Yeah. And you took foundation in with you. Why was that so key to you? Because as you've just said, you were bearing your soul, you were being who you were, and yet still the urge to have a shield in that respect was there. Yeah, so the, the foundation thing, um, I always thought from watching The Jungle that we were allowed one luxury item. Um, so one of the exec producers came into you quarantine for two weeks before in a hotel in Brisbane, and they came in and, and I said, well, what's the deal? When can I use my luxury item? They said, oh, no, change the format this year. You have to win them. And I said, what do you mean? So I can't, I won't have my foundation right from the beginning. And they said, no, I'm really sorry. I, I think someone maybe miscommunicated it to you. And my whole world just stopped. I'm not a very emotional person. I just burst into tears. And I'm not very dramatic either. I just, I just said, I'm really sorry. I can't. My skin is so bad right now. I know that if I go in there without my foundation, I won't be myself. I can't. Back then, I honestly could not hold a conversation with someone, even if if I didn't have any conversation on whether that's a boyfriend, whether that was a best friend. I had to have my war paint on. Um, so they went away and they said, I think I even got a, med a medical note from my doctor basically saying that, you know, in his opinion, it's it's a medical problem. Um, and as vacuous as it might sound, you know, it, it, it the emotional connection with skin is very deep and I think it should be seen as a medical problem anyway they were so kind to me and I think when they saw how raw I was and they got to know me well enough they know that I wasn't just like putting on my makeup to look better than everyone else it was, I don't I, I prefer to never wear makeup again but anyway they said to me that every morning you can go to the medical tent and you can put on one layer of foundation and that's it and it just it gave me my confidence boost to be able to go in there and do it. And did you find that when that was discussed afterwards that most people understood? I think there was probably loads of awful press when I was in there, but I didn't see it. But I think you'd have to be, you'd have to have very terrible eyesight to not be able to see that my spots were very, very bad when I was in there. And that's in, with the foundation on. Um, so I think people probably felt for me a little bit and thought, you know what, just let her have the foundation because you can really see it through the telly. You can, you can neutralise the colour, but you can't get rid of the big craters, you know? As promised, I thought I'd use this little break from Georgia to tell you a bit more about my Spartago class experience with Temple Spa. So after joining a class a few weeks ago, I decided to host my own. So I asked a few of my oldest friends to join me for a pamper across Zoom with a Spartago lifestyle consultant. 
Learning about the results-driven ingredients in our skincare as well as trying the products was such a treat and we all unanimously fell for the In The Beginning Cleanser and Repose Night Cream, both of which are fixtures on my skincare shelf, by the way. It was such a lovely reason to all come together and I'd very much recommend. So if you'd like to host a class, you can band together some pals and have a virtual skincare session as I did or grab your nearest and dearest and bring the spa to your home. Temple Spa will send you a little box of products beforehand so you're good to go. Also, if you fancy, you could become a Spa2Go lifestyle consultant and lead the classes. I'll pop all the links and info in my show notes. Thank you for powering today's episode, Temple Spa, and let's go back to Georgia now. In my researching you for this interview, I was suddenly finding everywhere these little bits of politics. Is that something you're keen on pursuing? Is it something you'd like to do with your life? Um... What if one day, a long time away from now, I suddenly think, for some unknown reason, I think, oh, I want to be a member of parliament. You know, life takes weird courses. And I did it. And I looked back and I listened to this podcast. And as a 26-year-old, I said, I'm never going to go into politics. What I would think, as someone who has a vote, I would think she's a liar like the rest of them. So I am loath to say never. But it is definitely not on my it, part of my plan um, now. However, part of my plan is being true to myself and I am very active with current affairs. And I think if I can get any young person voting, and when I mean voting, I mean voting out of spite for some of my beliefs, going and voting for the party that represents nothing that I stand for. How wonderful is that? That is political engagement. And I also don't I don't want to conform to this stereotype where if you're a reality TV star and sometimes I bounce around in dresses like I'm wearing or a bikini and I've got hair extensions and I'm blonde. Apparently, we're not allowed to talk about things that only white middle class men are allowed to talk about. You know, it for me, it's really important that I don't conform to that. Um, so I do my best. But at the same time, you know, I regret slightly having been so pigeonholed with one party. And I think that was my naivety in my youth um, because I would class myself, I haven't voted for, how can I say this? I have voted for two different parties in the last two elections. So without going into too much political detail, you know, for me, it's annoying that everyone thinks I'm a nasty top Tory um, because, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I just love current affairs and politics. I always have done, always. Are there any politicians you absolutely love? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, interestingly, this might really surprise you. Angela Rayner, I think she is so cool. Um, and of course, from a very different political set of beliefs to mine. Um, I think she's amazing. Right, OK, so potentially politics, but currently writing. Yes, definitely writing for the foreseeable. Tell me about your writing routine. How do you do it? OK, so I... Uh, I'm good at procrastinating. So the only way it's worked for me over the past two years is blocking out two hours every morning. Now, of course, when I'm going towards a deadline, that quadruples in size. But when I'm editing and the books have gone to the publisher, it's two hours a day, Monday to Friday, and it really, really works for me. I also keep a notepad with me and I write with pencil with a rubber on it. So those are where all of my brainwaves go in. Um, but yeah, it's the only format that's worked for me. And you do two hours at what time? I get up really early. So I'm normally up at about six, six. But if I've been on the piss the night before, I'm okay. not up until nine. All right, so let's say but... you're up at six. You literally yeah. feet out of bed. First thing you do is, well, brush your teeth, presumably, et cetera. But first thing you do that's part of your routine is what? I'll go and take my dog for a walk, think about my day. 
And then I get home and I go straight. I use an iPad with a type thing so I can take it everywhere. Straight on there, editing all of the rubbish that I've probably written the day before. And then I go again. And then my day takes so many different formats because I've got so many different things going on. Um, I've set up a little talent management agency, um, which is really sweet. And I've got a team of four girls working with me on that. I haven't even spoken about this before. Um, It's really diverse. I mean, from nutritionists to people like me, to influencers, to mental health advocates, you know, it's really diverse. But we're right at the beginning. So that's taking up a lot of my space in my mind. And then normally in the afternoon, I shoot a bit of content for my Instagram. I love um, having it. I just call it try it on the top. But I love that's like my um, sort of relaxation time. I love it. You said you like to order delivery, but do you cook? No, I can't cook. Can't cook shit. Can't, can't do anything. I mean, and when I'm really ravenous, I'll pop around. I've got really nice weight trays near me in London. And that's sort of my big excursion. And I'll pop into the newsagents opposite and get paper. And that's that's literally my day. And I, I love the monotony of a routine. Um, and I, yeah, I think getting my dog sort of turned that upside down a bit. Because I thought, Christ, you need to think about someone else's bladder, you know? How old is yours? One and a half. He's nuts. Wow. Okay. He, he's mental. But I'm just so into it. Thank God he's got some personality. I mean... He's so badly trained. I took him on this morning and it was Eamon Holmes' birthday. I don't know why I took... Oh, yeah, I was doing I was doing What to Buy Your Dog for Christmas. I mean, very important, hard-hitting content. And um, I had the dog off the lead. And I just thought, oh, he'll sit there. And I turned around. I look over, the dog's eating Eamon's birthday cake. No. And I was like, oh, my God. And the camera swung and did this, like, zoom in into my dog eating the birthday cake. Yeah, he's horribly trained, but I love it. I think it's funny. <laughs> Before we move on to your current sort of beauty hits and what you rely on, I have a question for you that just excited me so much I couldn't not ask it. You like ABBA. I love ABBA. (laughs) Why do you love ABBA and what's your favourite ABBA song? Oh my darling, where do I start? I am, yeah, just like you it sounds and ABBA, I'm just mental, I love it. I think I love the band because... I love that in one single album, you can cry with sadness, you can cry with happy tears of joy and the elation of the music, and you can have a really good boogie. I just can't think of many other bands where you have that raw emotion where some of them were married. They were married. You know, and documenting such enormous turning points in all of their lives through that music and giving it to us, it's a gift. Completely agree. Completely agree. And if you had to choose an ABBA song that was your, your one... What would it be? Chikatita, because it has both. And that big crescendo. Do you like the Mamma Mia films? Yeah, I do. It's very good. And I love listening to Cher and Meryl Streep and Lily James and, you know, all of them. I like hearing the different type of voice singing those songs. Right. Products. Tell me five that you love now that you think people need to know about. Okay, so Dermalogica Pre-Cleanse Oil. I mean, it is the most insane product you can wear. Lashings of waterproof, foundation, makeup, you name it. It comes off in one fell swoop and it smells like a spa. Love it. For me, another Dermalogica product, I I need to have two, sorry, is um, the Breakout Clearing Booster, targeting, full of salicylic acid. It's just bloody good. It's from the Clear Start range. Very good. Clear Start range, better price point as well. It's a little bit more less expensive. Um... Now, this is an investment, but I'm telling you it works. Revitalash. 
Yes. It works. Lash serums really work. And I felt mm. a little bit suspicious about it until I tried yeah. it and then had Me too. enormous lashes. Yeah, they're, they're Me amazing. Too. And I mean, my revised lash is so good. It made me start sprouting a hair out of, you know, the inner corner of my eye. I thought that doesn't show you how good. I know, insane. Strange as well. But anyway, yeah, so that's it. So my fourth one would be, have you ever heard of Eucerin's Aquaphor? Yeah, really good. I mean, really good. It's so cheap. If I was in my little, I've got a little beauty room. I've got a whole thing. I'm stuffed full of them. I get anxiety if I don't have them. I put them on my lips, on dry bits, burns, cuts. You know, it's so good. And it's like three three pounds fifty. Um, the last one is um, a brand called Catrice, and they're a makeup brand. And I'm 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 a bit thrifty and a little bit nifty. I love a product that works. It's really cheap, and I love their camouflage concealer. I've only used their eyeliners. I didn't know they oh, made good skin it's products. So good. How is your skin now then, and and how do you feel? about it at the moment you sound like you're sort of doing that classic thing which I think comes when people have a healthy relationship where they actually talk about their skin as a separate entity so it doesn't it's not you that's the thing that's breaking out it's your skin over there in the corner yeah is that where you are you're so observant yes I think so and I think it's probably because uh I hate jinxing things but my skin has not been this good in 10 years and I don't want it to relapse, basically. Um, I've had, I'd say, a good three, four months of good skin. I had one spot last week and I was thrilled. I mean, can you imagine? I thought, Christ, I've got a spot. I forgot about you, my old friend. And then I just left it and I didn't fiddle. I didn't touch it or squeeze it. And it went away within three days. You know, I'm feeling very happy with the state of my skin right now. And I feel like my skin, for the first time ever... I've been able to concentrate on other skin concerns, like using vitamin C. I feel like I'm glowing. I've never been able to do that before because I've only used acne acne products. So I had this thing when my skin started to clear up where I was suddenly like, I'm getting wrinkly. Oh my God, how can I go straight from spots to wrinkly? This is so unfair. I want a middle period where I have, where I have nothing to be concerned about. But sadly, it's always the two Because we missed out yeah, on that. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's yeah. just one handed over to the other. And I was like, thank you so much, yeah. gods of skincare. Um, perfume, <gasps> are you a scent person? Yes, I am. I am. I recently I've just got into a new perfume and it's called Maison Margiela. Um, they sell it at Space NK. It's really cool. And I wear Beach Walk for the summer. It's so lovely. And it's probably the first time in my life that I'm wearing a grown-up scent. Um, I thought maybe I'm mid-twenties now, so I've got to do that. But um, my signature scent would be Misty Dior. Um, I think all of my, if my ex-boyfriends probably smelt a woman, they would think shit smells like Georgia if someone's wearing that. Um, but one thing that I never, ever travel without, and it sounds very strange, but um, I think our sense of smell is very deeply connected to our memories and emotions. And um, for me growing up, I used to bathe in Juicy Couture and my best friend and I used to wear it. And she travels with a mini one and I travel with a mini one. And whenever I'm feeling homesick, I give it a whiff and it makes me so happy. But yes, yeah, so those are my is my sense. You sound like you're in a really happy, even keel place in general. So one of my questions to you was going to be, how do you look after your mental well-being, your spiritual well-being? Is it dog walking, writing routine, 
eating well or is there anything else? Yeah, there's a lot of that. I feel like my mental health really suffers when I don't do my habitual things. Like you've just said, I think a big one for me is exercise. I haven't worked out in three months. I can really feel it. Um, So I've got to get back on that. I'm a real advocate for gratitude lists. I know it's all talk at the moment, but I do think they work. I also have a really amazing app where I record myself um, saying positive affirmations and I play them if I'm feeling a bit down. It's called Think Up. Um, and you you feel like such a wally, sat in a quiet room, recording yourself, you know, I am confident, you know, all of that rubbish. I do think speaking to the subconscious mind does work. Um, so I do that. Um, phone calls with my best friend always sorts me out. I also take, when I'm walking the dog in the morning, I take five to ten minutes to run through my diary and think about how I want my day to run. So, you know, even things like I'll look and I'll think, right, you've got an hour for lunch go to Waitrose, but try and buy a salad today. So sort of like, sort of conditioning yourself. It's not, shit, I'm going to go to Waitrose and I'm going to grab the quickest sandwich and the fattiest sandwich. You know, I try to condition myself to think that would be nice if you went and got a salad and a juice. Um, so those are my, that's my little toolkit. Um, it sounds like uh, what you do a lot of is something that I've been reading about a lot and it's called self-parenting and just good self-parenting. Like, how would you treat yourself if you were... Uh, a child and you would plan the day and you'd say what kind of day are we going to have and actually it works so well as a grown-up like I've been doing a bit of that and I think god it's so powerful just to look after yourself as you would look after anyone else and not to treat yourself like your bottom of the pile and put yourself first right that's a really lovely phrase self-parenting it, it, it encapsulates what I think I try to do Mm, yeah it's really good it works really well I'm going to finish by asking you the questions that I ask all of my guests and I'm actually really really excited to hear your answers having spoken to you so what to your mind's been your greatest triumph career or personal it's got to be winning the jungle but I hope that doesn't sound like a cliche I look back on that period I don't even recognize the person that I was because I was so strong and I really I think when I'm thinking about the jungle, it's not only sort of sat there and doing nothing and not eating. It's the way that I put my mind to it and doing some tasks that they were beyond my physical abilities. So I think that's why I'm really proud going up against big muscly men and still making myself proud. You know, that I think that's why I look back on it so far. Yeah, I saw a thing where you were talking about that and you said, you know, women might not be uh, genetically imbued with the same muscular structure as men. But at the same time, to be able to go in there and have the mental fortitude to see things through and to really be tough in the face of, you know, what I would say is like, I mean, there's no way you could get me to the jungle if you paid me millions and squillions. Really? <laughs> no way. You'd love it. No, honestly, I'm like, I'm ve- I'm so squeamish. I'm vegetarian. I'm like, no, no way. But but you you really soared up and met the challenge. And, and when you were saying that, I thought, yeah, damn right. It actually made me feel quite like emotional about it when yeah. you're talking about it. Yeah, yeah, I understand it. I think, um, and it really stood out to me in there, the tough ones were all the women. I mean, and I'm not just saying it, I'm not a bra-burning feminist, but that is a fact. Like, I was in there. And we were very, very strong. And I think the whole genetics thing is, of course, you know, we are at a slight disadvantage, but that's not our fault. I think we make up for it emotionally and mentally. Um, and that really showed to me that, that it is true. Mm-hmm. If you had to go back to a younger version of yourself, what age would you return to and what would you say to young Georgia? I think I would go back to just before I started doing television. So I would have been 18. And I would have just said, don't be so self-conscious 
everyone feels exactly the same. You'll know that in 10 years. And stop thinking that everyone's focusing on you because they're not. Um, and I would also, this is quite a random one. I just say, can it, I wish that I'd have started using transparent makeup bags. I know that sounds so stupid, but I think about all the hours that I might have saved over the period of 10 years if I'd have started using them then. Right, name three people dead or alive who you'd have at your dinner party. And you started saying Margaret Thatcher, so I'm wondering if she's on there, is she? I think it would have to be. I think it would have to be our only, well, I was going to say our only female prime minister, our first female prime minister. And do you know why? I'd want her to come to my dinner party because I know that she would probably ignore all of the other women at the table and just go and speak to the men because she always elevated herself. And to be as strong as the men, she had to match them. And I've heard stories about her doing just that, you know, ignoring. And when, after supper, I've heard that they would retire for a drink and the ladies would go into the drawing room and have a drink or whatever. And Margaret would turn around and look at the ladies and go and follow the men. And I thought that is, just for me, signalling that perhaps she might have wanted to sit with all the women and have a bit of a natter, but to keep up her strength and power and run a country at that time, she had to be as ballsy as a man, you know? And we've got to forget policies. I'm not talking about anything political. I'm talking about her and the way that she handled herself socially. I find, Like, for me, if I had a dinner party, I would die to see her. I, I want to know how she behaved at the dinner table and whether she would come and talk to all of us, you know? So I think she's quite a good one. Um, Jilly Cooper would be my other one, um, just because I, I just love her books. And I think she'd have the most fabulous stories. I had a conversation recently on Instagram because I've, th- this is a terrible thing to admit because I, I'm a voracious reader, but I've never read a Jilly Cooper book. And I put it up and so many people came back and said, you need to read Riders. Riders, uh, gotta go with Immediately. Riders. Yeah, you immediately. You will love it. I mean, it's just a world of bonking and horses. And I really love my horse racing and so does she. So I think we would have fabulous conversations. Winston Churchill, I, 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 I mean... I would just, and what I would ask him is, I find the, any politician that has gone and represented two different parties, which Winston Churchill did, for me, I find that ideological change and difference to feel that strongly, to be on the benches of the opposition, but also flip back. I would grill him about that because I've I've become very interested recently in how our own political ideologies are sculpted and how that changes throughout a lifetime. And I wonder whether I've turned everything on its head, whereas I started off very conservative. As I'm growing up, I'm getting more liberal, whereas we know that that is not very common. It's normally the other way around. Um, So anyway, so I'd like to pick his brains on that. And of course, I want to talk about what happened in in the war. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're so intelligent and measured. Yeah, it's really, really lovely to speak to you. And you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.